स्वामी निखिलानंद इज अ डिसाइपल ऑफ जगत गुरु श्री कृपालुजी महाराज ही रिजाइड एट राधा माधव धाम इन ऑस्टन टेक्सस व्हिच इज द यूएस आश्रम ऑफ जगत गुरु कृपालु परिषद ही ट्रैवल्स अमेरिका प्रीचिंग द फिलॉसफी ऑफ सनातन धर्म एज टॉट बाय श्री कृपालुजी महाराज इन दिस सीरीज ऑफ लेक्चर्स स्वामी निखिलानंद एक्सप्लेन्स द थ्री पाथ्स टू गॉड कर्म ज्ञान एंड भक्ति He reveals the scriptural teachings behind each path and tells which path is the best one to follow. So far in this series on the three paths to God, karma, jnana and bhakti, I explained to you that karma on its own cannot take a soul to God, that it must be combined with bhakti and bhakti means surrendering the mind to God. So if mental surrender to God is combined with good karma then it is called karma yoga and that can take someone to God Similarly the path of gyan on its own is not enough for God realization or liberation from maya Gyan or the path of gyan on its own can only take one up to self realization atma gyan To go beyond that that atmagyani must surrender to the personal form of god to receive his grace in order to be liberated from maya so the gyani who surrenders to god is doing bhakti that's what surrender means and that means he becomes a gyan yogi just like the karmi becomes a karma yogi when he adds in bhakti the gyani becomes a gyan yogi and a gyan yogi can be liberated from maya through god's grace not through his own effort <coughs> there are some who follow a philosophy which uh, was propounded by shankaracharya more than 2000 years ago it's called the advaitvad which when you see there are three prime scriptures that all the jagat gurus wrote their explanations on the upanishads the brahma sutra and the gita it's called prasthana trayi so in shankaracharya adi jagat guru shankaracharya wrote his bhashya on all of these great scriptures the theory that he set forth is called advaitvad other jagat gurus set forth other theories shankaracharya later added more to his theory which you'll see in a little bit but for now just understand that those who follow that advaitvad of shankaracharya nowadays what they say is no 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 we don't need bhakti we can attain god just through thinking if i remember that i am brahm then i'll be liberated that's their philosophy that this whole world it doesn't actually exist it is brahm and i am brahm see the difference brahm means god and brahm means illusion a, con- a confusion or agyan so they say that ye maya vaya kuch nahi hota hai ye brahm hi hai and i am brahm but i have forgotten that's why this uh, ye sab dikh raha hai 
you can summarize the whole philosophy in one Sanskrit phrase. Jiva Brahmaiva Jagan Mithya Na Para Jeev is Brahm and the world is Mithya it doesn't even exist and there's nothing else other than that so it means only Brahm exists that's why it's called Advait Dvait means two Advait, no other just one, Brahm so in his Advaitvad, Shankaracharya took the three eternal tattva described in our Vedas. Ved refers to three eternal tattva. Aja mekam lohit shukla krishnam bahvi praja srijamanam sarupa maya. Ajo yeko jushamano nushete jahatye nam bhukta bhoga. Jeev, Majonya, Brahm. These three are referred to in many verses of our Vedas. This one is from Shvetashvatropanishad. So Shankaracharya took those three eternal tattva, God, the souls, and Maya, and he reduced it to one. He said, no, no, no. Souls and God are not two separate things. In fact, souls are not many. There's just one God... And there's a theory called Bimba Prati Bimbavad, like the sun is shining in the sky and if you have a bunch of uh, buckets of water, you see the sun shining in each of those buckets. So does that mean there are many suns? No, there's only one sun, but it's being seen in all these places. Similarly, there's only God, but all of these souls are, you know, it seems like there are, there are souls, but actually there's only one soul, and the soul and God are one and the same. So there he eliminated souls from the picture, and then he said this world is just an illusion, it doesn't even exist, so he eliminated Maya from the picture, and he said just Brahm exists. So in this theory, Brahm, God, himself is confused. That's how he thinks himself to be a soul. I'm just telling you how it is in this Advaitvad. You are Brahm. So how is it that you find yourself in this illusion of the world thinking you're a soul when you're actually God? You're confused. You are actually God. Now, someone who knows more about the scriptures may say that, no, 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 in our scriptures, although soul and God are said to have some similarities, like both are alive, both are chetan, and both are eternally existing. But when it comes to power, God is sarva-shaktiman. Souls are alpa-shaktiman. We have very little power. God is sarvagya. He knows everything. We are alpagya. We know very little. He is sarva-vyapak. He exists everywhere, and we are Anu, we're spot-existent individual souls. So there are such great differences between souls and God. So in their philosophy, they say, no, 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 those, ex- those differences only appear, they're apparent, 
because you have forgotten who you are. So if you remember through the knowledge, tatvamasi, aham brahmasmi, I was telling you before, they meditate on this, that I am God, I am God, I am God. By meditating in that way, you remember that you are God. And then the illusion goes away. So through this process, you, if you actually remember that you are God, if you actually remember that you are God, then the whole world stops existing. Because the only reason it was existing is because you were confused and you were having this illusion of the world. So as soon as you remember your God, you become omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing God, and the whole world ceases to exist. This is their philosophy. So... Such people who follow this Advait philosophy, they say, so where's the need for bhakti? You're saying we, even a jnani needs to do bhakti, and I'm saying no. All I have to do is remember that I am God, and the whole thing takes care of itself. There's no need for God's grace. There's no need for bhakti. So, if we examine this philosophy you will find with a couple of simple logical points, the whole philosophy crumbles. The entire Advaitvad crumbles just with a couple simple points. Ask the question, this Agyan, that God somehow has forgotten that he's God, he's become confused, is this Agyan eternal? Or did it start one day? It must be one or the other, right? If God doesn't know that he's God, and thus we're all confused when actually we're God, so either we've been eternally confused, or we became confused one day. So, let's say, is it that we are eternally confused? then Advaitvad would be proven untrue because then you have two tattva. You have God existing eternally and you have the Agyan existing eternally. That would be two tattva. So if they say, the followers of Advaitvad, if they say this confusion has existed since eternity, this Agyan has existed since eternity, then you just prove that there are two eternal tattva, not one. So it's not Advaitvad anymore, it's Dvaitvad. Or if you say, it began one day, then the question becomes, how did God get confused? If God is the only thing in existence, let's say we go back in time to before God was confused. So he's doing fine, he's God, he's blissful, he's all-knowing. How did he become confused when he's the only thing that exists? You see, let's say you're walking on a dark night and you see a rope coiled up on the side of the path you might become confused and think that oh, it's a snake. But would you ever become confused and think, oh, I might be a snake? You don't get confused about yourself. You get confused about something else. So if God is the only thing that exists, how could he become confused about himself? 
It doesn't make sense. So neither way makes any sense. And if God was fine and one day ignorance overtook God, it means ignorance that Agyan is more powerful than God. Again, is this something you're willing to accept? Then if you make the effort and you become unconfused and you remember that you are God and again you become all-knowing and all-powerful, then what's to stop that agyan from again overtaking you? Then why bother? Let's just stay as we are now. So from no angle does this theory make sense, even from this one particular point that when did this agyan happen? Is it eternal or did it happen one day? Neither way makes sense. We could ask another question. If there are not uncountable souls, if in fact all of us are just one Brahm, and due to our confusion we think we are many, well, in our history, it's recorded in our scriptures, that there have been hundreds and thousands of souls who got liberated. So if they got liberated, it means they got freed from the confusion. They were freed from Agyan. So, if one soul gets liberated, we should all get liberated, right? Because we're not many, we're one. So, if one soul gets liberated, we should all be liberated, but it doesn't happen that way. So, it's another hole, a logical hole in the theory. And finally, and there are many, many more, I'm just giving you four basic points here today. If this world is just an illusion and only exists due to our ignorance, that it's not really here, then why don't we just go right to Shankaracharya and say, Shankaracharya ji, after you became liberated, why did you keep eating food? Why did you keep sleeping in a house? Why did you write books on paper? I mean, if this world is just an illusion, what's the need of all of that? I mean, we should have all become liberated when he got liberated anyway, right? Because we're all one. There's only one Brahm. There's no souls. So, from no angle does the Advaitvad make sense. And this is the reason that no other historical saint backed this theory up. Every other historical saint contradicted this Advaitvad. Shankaracharya was the only one. You see, there were three other Jagadgurus after Shankaracharya. Jagadguru Nimbarkacharya, he had the Dvaitadvaitvad. Jagadguru Ramanujacharya had Vishishtadvaitvad. And Jagadguru Madhvacharya had Dvaitvad. They all contradicted this Advaitvad of Shankaracharya. Vallabhacharya was not formally named Jagadguru, but he did write Bhashya on the Prasthanatrayi, and he established Vishuddha Dvaitvad, which also contradicted Shankaracharya's theory. Then we had other great saints like Chaitanya Mahaprabhuji and his great disciples like Rup Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, Jeev Goswami. They also wrote great explanations. And they all contradicted this theory of Advaitvad. That's where I got the logic that I presented to you today from their writings. So... They all, all of these great saints, and I just told you a few, 
they all accepted that no, according to the Vedas, there is not only one tattva, there are three tattva. God, souls, and maya, Brahma, Jeev, maya. Where Ved says, na vedavin manute tam vrihantam, ekamevad dvitiyam brahma nehana nasti kinchana, chandogyopanishad, that there is only God and nothing else. Whereas in other places, Ved is saying, no, there's three tattva. Why is Ved saying that? Because God is the one giving life to the souls and He's the one controlling Maya. But that doesn't mean Maya doesn't exist and that doesn't mean souls don't exist. But because He pervades them, from a physical point of view, you could say, well, there's nothing but God because we are pervaded by God and Maya is pervaded by God. So from that point of view, there's nothing but God. However, from the point of view of our own individual existence and the fact that we can perform our own free will actions, we're, we're different from God. We're a separate tattva. So all of these great saints accepted that fact that souls are separate from God and have to try to attain God and need to surrender to God to get God's grace in order to be liberated from maya or to get divine bliss and knowledge. They also all accepted that this maya, this world, is not fake. Mayam tu prakritim vidyan mayinan tu maheshwaram. Shvetashvatrupanishad says, Maya is a power of God. Not an illusion of your mind, a power of God. Daivi shesha gunamayi mama maya duratyaya. Shri Krishna says, Maya is my power. In the Bhagavatam, Pradhana Purusheshvaraha, both the souls and Maya are powers of God. The Ramayana says, Sodasi Raghubir ki samujhe mithya sopi chute naram kripa binu natha kahu padropi. Tulsidas Ji says, even if someone wants to believe that Maya is only an illusion, they still can't get freed from it without Ram's grace. Rajat Sipa Mahabhas Jimi Yathabhanu Karvari Jadapi Mrishati Tihu Kalamaha Brahmana Sakai Kotari Jāsukripā asbrahma miti jāyī Giri jāsoi kripālu raghurāyī He says, if someone just believes that this whole world is an illusion, they still can't free themselves from māyā just by thinking of it as an illusion. Only through Ram's grace can they be freed from Maya. So, Maya is an actual power which exists. It is not the, an illusion of our mind. So that is one eternal tattva, eternally existing Maya. 
the souls also eternally existing, and God. So all of these great saints, they accepted that souls have been under Maya forever. We never came under Maya or got separated from God because I already gave you the logic behind that. Had we been with God and then somehow Maya made us separate from God, it means Maya is more powerful than God. What's the use of getting God realized if one day Maya can just come along and again re-separate you from God? So this is unacceptable. Thus, the other must be true, that we have been eternally separated from God. Again, if someone asks the question, didn't God create us? Again, that's unacceptable. If God created us, why would he have created us under Maya? We'd, we would have a big complaint then. <laughs> you should have made us properly. Why did you put us in this Maya, under the bondage of Maya? So that's unacceptable as well. Thus, we know that we have existed forever. God has not created us. This is what our scriptures say. We are ajaha, unborn. God sends us forth because during Mahapralaya, he keeps us inside him. He keeps Maya inside him. But then again, once he creates the universe, not out of nothing, he just activates Maya. Maya creates the universe. And then he sends the souls forth to be born. But that is an eternal cycle. It never began. So this is a little bit of a uh, very deep philosophy Tonight is probably the most technical philosophy that I'm giving you in this whole series. But it's important to understand because this Advaitvad is very popular in the world today. And it confuses a lot of people. Imagine I'm telling you on one hand that you have to do bhakti and receive God's grace. And on the other hand, you can read some other philosophy if someone is writing about the Advaitvad. You may read some other philosophy or hear another speech where someone's saying, no, 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 all you have to do is remember that you are God and it's all good. You'll be fine. So the correct philosophy is no. Even if you, know, if you practice that path of jnana and meditate on you being God and get to the point of being atma jnani, you're still under maya. <laughs> so then you need to surrender to God to get free, liberated. So, saints and the scriptures tell us that God has existed forever, souls have existed forever, and souls are uncountable in number, unlimited in number, not one or two, unlimited souls, but one God and one Maya, and this cycle of creation and dissolution of the universe has gone on forever. And we have been under Maya forever. Even during Mahapralaya, when we go into God, we're still under Maya. And then when God produces the universe and we get born in the world, we're still under Maya. So God didn't put us here as any kind of punishment. And we were never separated from him. We've been like this forever. Now, if we become free from Maya, again, since there are unlimited souls in existence, one soul being freed from Maya does not free everybody. 
And this is backed up by history. So many souls have become saints, yet we're still all here under Maya. So think of it like a prisoner being released from jail. That doesn't mean the other prisoners are also released. So if someone is liberated from Maya, Maya is still here. The jail is still there. The other prisoners are still there. Just one prisoner has been released. And maya is not destroyed when a soul becomes liberated. It just means that maya can no longer affect you. So the effect of maya is finished on that soul, but maya still exists. Because na sato vidyate bhavo na bhavo vidyate sataha gita A tattva an existing thing cannot be destroyed. And if something doesn't exist, it can't be brought into existence. So maya can never be destroyed. So when a person becomes God-realized, maya still remains. And after liberation or God-realization, a soul does not become God. Because again, if the soul became God, it would mean the soul ceased to exist, right? A soul is a soul, God is God, and if the both become absolutely one, it means one of them has to stop existing. Or both stop existing and some new tattva is created. So it can't happen that way. You can say the apparent identity of the soul is lost. Like, let's say we have a mountain of rice. And you're standing at a distance and you see another person takes a single grain of rice and tosses it, adds it to the pile. From a distance, it looks like that grain of rice disappeared into the pile. But if you come closer, you'll see that, oh no, it's just, it was added, it's still there. So something like that, when the soul is liberated, when the soul of a jnani is liberated and he merges into formless God, he loses his apparent identity because he no longer has a physical body or a mind, but his soul still exists. And as a soul, a pure soul, he merges into God like a river merging into the ocean. So the form of the river is lost, but those little water molecules haven't been destroyed, right? They just joined all the other water mo molecules in the ocean. Similarly, a soul merges with God's Jeev Shakti into his pure Jeev Shakti. That's the state of liberation of a jnani. Or you can say merges into formless God. So, now you understand that it is important to do bhakti. This world does really exist. We are individual souls, one of unlimited and you might be surprised to know that, in fact, after all, Shankaracharya also accepted just what I finished proving to you. You see, Shankaracharya, he lived an amazing life. By age 8, he knew all four Vedas. By age 12, he knew all six Darshan Shastras, Purva Mimansa, Vaisheshik, Nyai, Sankhya, Yoga, and the Brahma Sutra. 
By 16, he started writing his Bhashya on Upanishads, Brahmasutra, and Gita. And he also did his Digvijay. He went all around India and became Jagadguru by uh, defeating all the scholars of that time and debating. They all accepted his philosophy. By age 20, he was done with such activities. And from 20 to 32, he left this earth at age 32. From age 20 to 32, he did Bhakti to Shri Krishna. So let's look at his writings after his Advaitvad. That was his first thing he produced. After that, what are some of the things he wrote? Take one verse from his uh, Prabodh Sudhakar, which is actually his last book that he wrote. Satyapi bheda pagame nath tavaham namam kinastvam samudro hitaranga vachana samudro nataranga. He says, O God, although you and I are alike in many ways, yet I am from you. You are not from me. And he gave an analogy. He said, just like waves are of the ocean, they're from the ocean, the ocean is not from the waves. Similarly, souls are from you. You are not from the souls. In other words, you are you and I am me. There's a difference. So he accepted that there's a difference between God and soul. He said, Shuddhayati nantaratma Krishna bhakti padam bhojamrite. The mind cannot be purified without bhakti to Shri Krishna. Just like you heard in that story yesterday when he told that Brahman that to become qualified for this path of jnana, first you're going to have to go and do bhakti because bhakti is the best way to purify your heart. He himself taught Krishna Bhakti to his own mother. Now that should tell you something. Would you ever do, do something or teach something to your mother that wouldn't be for her own good? He taught her to do Bhakti to Shri Krishna and she became God-realized. She attained Shri Krishna. And he himself did devotion to Shri Krishna. Look at his writings. He says, Yamuna Nikatatastita. He gives a big, long, beautiful explanation that on the bank of Yamuna, Sri Krishna is sitting there. He is leaning up against a tree. He's got one foot crossed over the other. He's wearing his pitambar banmala, which is so fragrant that the bees are coming and buzzing around his head. They're attracted by the fragrance. He's surrounded by cows. The gualbals are there. The gopis are there surrounding him. He says, this is what I meditate on. Hridam bhoje 
कृष्ण सजल जल दश्यामल तनु सरोजाक्ष स्रग्वी मुकुट कटकाद्या भरनवान शरद्राकानाथ प्रतिमवदन श्री मुरलीकान वहंध्येयो गोपी गण परिवृतः कुंकुमचितः he says, this is what I meditate on. I think of Shri Krishna, dark, bluish complexion, like a fresh, rain-laden cloud. Standing in a kunj, surrounded by gopis, the beautiful full moon in the sky, playing on his flute, with beautiful, large, lotus-shaped eyes. That's what I meditate on. Bhagavati Tavati Re Nirmatrashanoham Vigata Vishaya Trishnaha Krishna Maradhayami He says, he's sitting on the bank of Gangaji and he says, O Bhagavati Ganga, I just want to stay here forever. I want to sit on your banks because the water that flows between your banks is the same water that washed the lotus feet of Sri Krishna on its way down from the celestial abodes. I just want to sit here renouncing all desires, not eating or drinking anything other than your holy water and Krishna Maradhyami. Krishnam Aradhayami. I just want to do Aradhana to Shri Krishna. Kamyo Pasanayartha Yantyanudinam Kinchit Phalam Svepsitam Kechit Svargam Athap Vargam Apare Yoga di agya dibhi asmakam yadunandanangri ugaladhyana vadhanarthinam kim lokena damena kim nripatina swargapavargaishchakim. He says some people do good karma with the desire of going to swarg and enjoying over there. I have no such desire. Some people follow the path of jnana or yoga with the hope of attaining liberation. He says, I don't want liberation. What do I want with liberation? What do I want? Asmakam, as far as I'm concerned, what I desire. Yadu nandanangri yugaladhyā. Vadhanarthinam. My goal is to receive, is to become like a bumblebee attracted to the lotus feet of Shri Krishna. I just want his, the foot dust of his holy lotus feet. 
These are the words of Shankaracharya who in his Bhashya didn't even mention the personal form of God. He only talked about formless God. And look at how he, he himself is doing devotion to Sri Krishna. One of his followers of Advaitvad, a very famous saint, more recent than Shankaracharya, most of you have probably heard of him, Madhusudan Saraswati, a famous Advaiti. He followed the path of Advait to its end and afterwards became a devotee of Sri Krishna. And he wrote Bhashya on the Gita. And when he was explaining the verse, Sarvadharman parityajya mamekam sharanam braja aham tvam sarvapapebhyo mokshayishyami mashuchah See, Shankaracharya had already explained this because he explained the Gita. Now, the literal meaning of this Sarvadharman Parityajya verse, Sri Krishna is saying, Surrender to me and I will liberate you. Surrender to me. Mam ekam sharanam vraja. Come and take shelter in me. So how did Shankaracharya translate that? That Krishna, speaking as the soul, is saying, surrender to yourself and you will be liberated. So Shankaracharya twisted the words. Madhusudan Saraswati, he said, Pramanatopi nirnitam Krishna mahatmya madbhutam Nashaknuvanti ye sodhum Contradicting his own master's philosophy, he says, if someone is that foolish to not accept the supremacy of Sri Krishna, Krishna Mahatmyam Adbhutam, the greatness, the unbelievable, amazing greatness, Mahatmya of Sri Krishna, Nashaknuvanti Sodhum, if he can't accept that, Listen to how harsh his words are. This is an Advaiti Jnani talking about Krishna. He says, the one who can't accept that, Nirayangata, Te Murha, first of all, he's a fool, and Nirayang means Narak, and Gataha means Jataha. He goes to Narak. Imagine, this is an Advaiti contradicting his own master's philosophy. So, you see that Shankaracharya was the only one who propounded this philosophy, but in the end, he corrected it. He actually established the right philosophy before leaving the earth planet, but his original Advaitvad it became more popular in the world, so people follow that and take it out of context of the rest of his life, and they get confused. Now, why did Shankaracharya do that? There were reasons. Sometimes, according to the situation of a particular time, divine personalities come on our earth planet and they teach the philosophy a little bit differently. And they have reasons. At that time, when Shankaracharya came, there were two things that were very popular. There was the Purva Mimansa, which is one of the six Darshan Shastras that doesn't deal with God. So it just teaches ritual good actions to attain Swarga. 
that had become very popular and people were just doing that and ignoring God. And then there was the philosophy of Bhagwan Buddha. He had also come and he had taught a, basically a non-godly philosophy. There was no uh, mention of God or even soul in his philosophy. So to counteract that, to reestablish, because even Gautam Buddha didn't accept the Vedas in his philosophy. So to reestablish the authority of the Vedas and the greatness of Sanatan Dharma, Shankaracharya just took a very narrow view of the philosophy and using that he defeated all those Mimansa scholars and Bodh scholars and he reestablished Sanatan Dharma. But it was part of a greater plan. That wasn't the, the complete philosophy what Shankaracharya taught. So you see, even Gautam Buddha, he's a, not just a saint, he's God himself who descended on the earth and he even taught a non-godly philosophy. So at times, for specific reasons, divine personalities do come and deviate from the actual teachings of the Vedas. But then it comes back. So we're back on track. But if we take only Shankaracharya's philosophy of Advaita, then it's easy to get off the track. So now you understand that bhakti is required. The jnani has to do bhakti, otherwise just by meditating on himself as God, he can't free himself from maya any more than a prisoner who's imprisoned in jail, let's say he gets the knowledge of who the king is. Oh, now I know who the king is. Will that free him from the jail? No. So just knowing who you are, that's not going to free you from maya. You need God's grace to get free from maya. So, the jnani has to do bhakti. In other words, he has to surrender to God. And the bhakt has to do bhakti, obviously. But the way they do bhakti is, it's done in two different ways. You see, Dvaivava Brahmano Rupe Murtanchaiva Murtancha. Ved says God has two main aspects. Murt means with form, sakar, and amurt means nirakar, without form. Shankaracharya also not only accepted this philosophy, he himself wrote this same verse, just slightly turned around. He said, Murtan chaiva murtan dvay eva brahmane brahmano rupe. So he also accepted that God has both a formless aspect and a personal form. Shankaracharya accepted that. So, those who worship God in his formless aspect, but surrender to God, they are called jnana-yogis. And those who surrender to God in a personal form, they are called bhakta-yogis. Yogi means he's joining his mind with God, or surrendering to God. So one is a jnana-yogi, one is a bhakti-yogi, but both are doing bhakti. 
One is called Abhed Bhakti and one is called Bhed Bhakti because the Jnani is not meditating on his relationship with God like a Bhakt does. He's meditating on his oneness with God. The true Jnana Yogi See, it's not the same as just thinking you are God. He conceives of God's omnipresence and then feels his oneness or conceives of his oneness with God. So he's accepting God's existence and he also knows that he needs the grace of the personal form of God in order to be liberated, but his focus is on formless God. That's his meditation. So that's abhed bhakti is focused on the sameness of soul and god not the difference. And bhed bhakti means when a soul feels I am your servant and you are my master. You are god, you give life to my soul. I belong to you. That means there's a relationship. You're my divine mother or my divine father. So that's bheda bhakti. It means God is God, you are you, and you want to surrender to God and experience God. But both are bhakti. So the jnana yogi does abheda bhakti and the bhakti yogi does bheda bhakti. Now which one is better? Okay, we accepted that we have to do bhakti. We got to that point. Everybody has to do bhakti. But now should we do bhakti to formless god like the gyan yogi does or should we do bhakti to the personal form of god like Ram or Krishna like the bhakti yogi does? Which one is better? So as I mentioned yesterday this very question was posed to Shri Krishna in the Gita by Arjun. एवं सततयुक्ताये भक्तास्त्वां परिपासते ये चाप्यक्षरम अभ्यक्तम तेशाम के योगवित्तमा Shri Krishna, people surrender to you or do bhakti to you in two different ways. They worship your avyakt form, your unmanifest or formless form. Or they worship you as Krishna in your personal form. Which one is better? Tesham, out of the two, ke, which one? Yoga vittama means which one is better. So Shri Krishna answered directly. Maya veshya mano ye maam nitya yukta upasate shraddhavan bhajate yo maam teme yukta tamamata The one who worships me as Krishna is better, plain and simple. Although, he says, te prapnuvanti maameva They both come to me. They don't attain someone different. The one who worships me as Krishna and the one who worships me in my formless aspect both come to me because Brahmano hi pratishtaham Gita. Brahm, the formless God, is established in me. 
Krishna's own words. I am the Pratishtha of Brahm. Like light is established in the sun, right? Light comes from the sun. The sun doesn't come from the light. He says, I am the Pratishtha. Brahm is from me, like the light of my body. So if someone surrenders to my, if someone worships my formless aspect, they're worshipping me, so they will come to me. So both the Jnana Yogi and the Bhakti Yogi attain me. Then why are you saying the one who worships you in your personal form is better? He says, Klesho dhikataraste-sham avyakta-satya-cetasam Abhyakta higatir dukham dehavadhiravapyate. He says the main reason is that the path of jnana yoga is extremely difficult. He uses the word kleshaha adhikataraha. Klesh means difficulty, and adhik means a lot. Adhikatar means extreme, extreme difficulty on the path of Gyan. Kathopanishad says following the path of Gyan, where you do devotion to formless God, it's as difficult as walking on the edge of a sword. It's so easy to fall off. See, we talked yesterday about even to qualify for the path of Gyan is very difficult. It's a very high qualification. You have to be totally renounced from the world to follow the path of Gyan. Whereas anyone is qualified for the path of Bhakti. So now understand why that qualification is necessary. Tulsidas Ji says, Kahat kathin, samujhat kathin, sadhan kathin vivek. He says, Kahat kathin. For your guru to even explain the philosophy to you, to put the philosophy into words of formless God is very difficult. Samujhat kathin. To understand it is even more difficult. Just take an example. Adrishta Madhyavaharya Magrahya Malakchana Machintya Madhyapadeshya Mekatma Pratyayasaram Prapancho Pashamam Shantam Shiva Madhvaitam Mandukyo Panishad. A description of the formless God upon whom you have to meditate if you're going to do Gyan Yoga. He cannot be seen, is Adrishta. He cannot be related to in any way. He is Abhyavaharya. He cannot be grasped in any way, either by your senses or by your intellect. Agrahya. He has no describable characteristics of any kind. Alakchana. If you say, please describe this Brahm, this formless God for me, sorry, there's no Lakchana. He is Achintya. You cannot conceive of him in your mind. So he has no form, no name, no describable characteristics. That's Brahm. But Brahm is not his name. It's just a word we've assigned for him. So now meditate on him. Meditate on what, Guruji? <laughs> There's nothing to hold on to. It's so abstract. Yes. Kahatakatin, samujhatakatin, sadhanakatin viveka. 
The sadhana is very difficult because on one side it requires total renunciation from the world and on the other hand it requires you to meditate on such an abstract thing which is inconceivable. Thus, the requirement to be already very highly evolved spiritually, to have purified your antahakarana to a great degree before you could even attempt to listen to this philosophy let alone meditate on formless God. Nowadays, people don't even worry about this. Oh yes, yes, aham brahmasmi, aham brahmasmi. Do you have any idea? That's so far down the road, you skip the first seven steps of Gyanmarg. So anyway, real Gyanmarg that would actually work, and instead of multiplying your ahankar, would actually bring you to liberation, it's very difficult and requires a very high qualification and control over the mind. You have to have control over your mind before you can even start on Gyan Marg. Otherwise, how will you keep your mind from running back towards worldly desires and just thinking about a Niras Brahm? See, our mind wants to experience Ras, right? We, that's what we want, some pleasure. Forget about pleasure on Gyan Mark. First of all, worldly desires? No, absolutely not. Any fun in the meditation? Nope. Just think of formless God. That's it. So it's like just someone has a dry piece of bread. That's like worldly pleasures. Okay, for a saint, a saint says this worldly pleasure you guys uh, are running after, that's like a stale, crusty piece of bread. Give me that. It's no good. And he throws it away. But I don't have anything else to eat. So it's of value to me. That's how we feel about the worldly pleasures. So Gyan Marg says, too bad. Forget about that. Now just desire to be liberated from Maya. That's it. Whereas Bhakti Marg says, I'm giving you a beautiful form to meditate on to replace that. So Bhakti Marg is like putting a nice full, freshly home-cooked meal in front of you and saying, now will you forget about that dry piece of bread? See, isn't this better? So there's ras on the path of bhakti that draws your mind. When you think about Krishna and his leelas, there's ras in that, that attracts your mind and soothes your mind. So the path of bhakti goes with the flow of the mind. It says, keep your desires, just redirect them towards God. And Gyanmarg says, stop, throw out the desires. It's like water has a nature to run downhill, right? So Gyanmarg would be like pumping the water back uphill. It takes a lot of effort. So our mind has a nature to desire and to want to experience pleasure. So Gyanmar goes against that nature of the mind and says, stop desiring and just want, you should want only one thing to be liberated from all of this. That's it. One desire on Gyanmar, Mumukchutva, desire for absolute liberation. Liberation from your desires, from your experiences, liberation from everything. That's the desire of a Gyanmargi. Whereas bhakti, instead of pumping the water back uphill, which is 
on Gyan Marg, you're basically trying to stop your thoughts and stop your desires. Bhakti is like digging another channel, like the water's running downhill. You want it to go somewhere else, so you just dig a deeper channel beside it. And then the water naturally will follow that channel. So you follow the flow of the mind, or you go with the nature of the mind, which wants to visualize a beautiful form, which wants love and pleasure. So you direct that towards God. Simple as that. So that's why Gyan Marg is so difficult. It, uh, it's very abstract to start with, and then it requires a high degree of renunciation and doesn't give you any ras to keep you going in that direction. You just, through the force of your intellect, have to stay on the path. So the Gyani falls from his path again and again. One other reason why, not just that you can say that Gyanmarg is very dry for the mind, so there's very little attraction for the mind. Not only that, but the Gyani has no protection of God's grace on his path. That's why even an Atma Gyani can fall. Remember yesterday I told you that Arudha Yogopi Nipatyate Dha Shankaracharya said even after becoming an Atma Jnani, the Jnani can fall. Whereas Tathanate Madhavatavata Vachit Brashyanti Margatvai Baddha Sauhrida Vayabhigupta vicharanti nirbhaya bhagavatam. For the bhakt, he's protected. God is there in his heart, protecting his spiritual progress and keeping him on the path. Can you imagine? What could be greater than that? That's why Sri Krishna says, Kaunte pratijani name bhakta. My bhakt can never fall. Imagine, he's giving a promise or a guarantee. Whereas the jnani, even if he reaches the antim sima of his marg, meaning before he surrenders to God and gets liberated, before that, when he's atma jnani, he can still fall. Jnani nama pichetansi devi bhagavati hisa balada krishya mohaya mahamaya prayachati. Maya is so strong that even that jnani can get pulled back into Maya. So why doesn't the bhakt fall when the jnani in some ways seems so strong? Oh, he's renounced the world. He's meditating on formless God. Because his mind, after all, is mayak, is it not? So on the power of your mayak mind, how long are you going to stay away from maya? <laughs> the mayak mind is naturally attracted to mayak things. So God's grace, because a bhakt is being graced by God during his path, but a jnani is not. Why not? Because his Brahm, his formless God that he's meditating on, is Udasina Stabdha Satatamaguna. 
संगरहितम शंकराचार्य सेल्स निराकार ब्रह्म doesn't do anything he is udasin akarta so it means he doesn't even grace his own devotee because nirakar brahm is inactive so how can he grace so the gyani is meditating on nirakar brahm but he's not getting the grace of god by doing that sakar brahm graces so in fact the gyani is like the the monkey you see both the gyani and the bhakt are god's children but the gyani is like a baby monkey see the baby monkey holds on from underneath to his mother and the mother jumps from tree to tree but the mother is not holding on to the baby the baby has to hold on if the baby lets go falls down so the gyani through the strength of his intellect stays on the path if he falters maya pulls him right back down just like gravity but the gyani the bhakt on the other hand is like a baby cat like a kitten see does the kitten have to worry no the mother holds the kitten in her mouth so the baby is just free nischint no worries so as long as the bhakt is surrendered to god god protects his bhakt See, look at in the Gita how many promises Krishna makes for his bhakt. Not a single promise for a jnani. <laughs> ye tu sarvani karmani, ye tu sarvani karmani, mai sanyasya matpara. Ananye naiva yogena maam dhyayanta upasate Te shamaham samudharta mrityu sansara sagarat bhavani bhavami nachirat partha mayyaveshita chetasam Shri Krishna says The one who wholeheartedly dedicates himself to me exclusively does my bhakti and dedicates all of his actions to me I take responsibility for getting him across this maya I take his responsibility Ananyash chintayanto maam ye jana paryupasate tesham nityabhiyuktanam yogakshemam bahamyaham The one who does bhakti to me, Shri Krishna, if he surrenders to me, I take his full responsibility. I do his yoga chem bahan. It means I protect what he has gained, what you've gained spiritually, how far you've risen. I don't let you fall. And I ensure your further progress and your ultimate attainment. I do your yoga chem bahan. this promise is only for a bhakt again he says samoham sarvabhuteshu name dveshyosti napriya ye bhajanti tumam bhaktya mayite teshu chapyaham here he proves himself to be biased in the first line he says samoham i am the same to everybody none is dear to me and none is an enemy to me i view all the same 
But if someone does bhakti to me, then I reside in him and he resides in me. In other words, I take care of him. I look after him. Ye yathamam prapadyante tastathaiva bhajamyaham Here he says, if someone surrenders to me, if someone does my bhakti, then I serve him. Bhajamyaham If someone surrenders to me as Krishna, then I do his seva. I do his bhakti. Sarvadharman parityajya mamekam sharanam braja aham tvam sarvapapebhyo mokshayishyami mashuchaham If someone does my bhakti and surrenders to me as Krishna, then I give him liberation from all of his past actions. They don't have to worry. Pesham satatayuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam dadami buddhi yogam tam yenamumamupayantite if someone bhajatam priti purvakam lovingly devotes themselves to me, in other words, does bhakti, then I give him a divine buddhi, divine knowledge, and he knows everything. Another promise for the bhakt, not for the jnani. Chipram bhavati dharmatma shat. No matter how fallen a soul is, if he becomes my bhakt, he becomes purified very quickly and he becomes praiseworthy. Manmana bhava madbhakto madhyaji maam namaskuru maame vaishyasi satyam te pratijane priyosime. Arjun, if you do bhakti to me, then I promise you will come to me and stay with me forever. Mayeva mana adhatsva mai buddhinniveshaya nivasishyasi mayeva ata urdhvam nasanshaya. Arjun, if you dedicate your man and buddhi to me through bhakti, then there is no doubt you will come to me and stay with me forever. So many promises for the bhakt, because the bhakt is dedicating himself to Krishna in his personal form so he can grace him. When he surrenders to his formless form, what can he do? Formless God does not grace. Thus, the jnani is in constant danger of falling. And Bahunam Janmanamante Gyanavan Mam Prapadyate Gita Manushyanam Sahasreshu Kaschidyatati Siddhaye Yatatamapi Siddhanam Kaschin Mam Veti Tatvataha Gita it takes a jnani thousands of lifetimes to complete his path. He has to stay renounced from the world and keep practicing that sadhana of Marg until he becomes atma-jnani and then he surrenders to the personal form of God to get his grace, to get liberated, to get brahma-jnani. 
The Bhakt is surrendering to the personal form of God right from the beginning. So, his path is not difficult. He dedicates himself to God. Even if he has bad days, God is still protecting him. He recovers, he continues on the path, and he can attain God in one lifetime. And he has God's protection the whole way along. So you see, although both a true jnani, the one who worships God in his formless form, and a bhakt, both are doing bhakti to God. Yet, one follows a very difficult path, and one follows a very easy path. It's like you come to a river, a fast-flowing river, and there's a beautiful palace on the other side that you want to get to, or a beautiful mandir. And there's a boat there with someone sitting in the boat willing to take you across. So you have a choice. I want to get there, Do I get in the boat and let him take me across? Or do I try to walk along the edge of the riverbank, following this trail through the jungle for who knows how long until I find a place to ford the river and then walk back along the other side? Who knows how long I would have to wander in that dense jungle? Would I get lost? Would I be able to follow the trail? Would I be able to cross the river? Choosing that route is like choosing Gyan Marg. And just getting in the boat and going across, that's Bhakti Marg. You just get in, God, I'm yours. I'm surrendered to you. You take me across. And Gyan Marg is, no, 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 it's okay, I got it. I'll do this on my own. That's the difference. So that's why the, there's a tremendous level of difficulty in Gyan Marg. Although both are doing Bhakti. Yet, the jnani's path has a very high qualification to even begin. Then if he does qualify, the sadhana is very difficult. He may fall again and again because he has no protection from God. In the end, he has to surrender to the personal form of God anyway to get liberated. He's worshipping formless God, but in the end he needs the grace of Sakar Brahm to get liberated. So in the end, he has to come to where the bhakti was in the beginning. <laughs> so after all of that, let's say you have one jnani and you have one bhakt, they both reached the end. They both completed their heart purification and became completely surrendered to God, got God's ultimate grace, became free from maya, and attained God. Now, If the world is fair, you would think both of them should have an equal experience, right? The jnani and the bhakt. Now both of them should have the same equal experience of God. Yet it is not so. Atmaramashchamunayo nirgrantha apyurukrame kurvantyahaitukim bhakti Mittham Bhuta Guno Hari Bhagavatam. It is said that the gunas, the qualities in Sakar Brahm, which has been attained by the Bhakti Yogi, 
The one who does devotion to the personal form of God attains the personal form of God. So the bliss in the personal form of God, the, the qualities in the personal form of God, there's something special about them because even that Paramahans, that Jnani Paramahans, who is already experiencing the bliss of Nirakar Brahm, he is forcibly attracted to Sakar Brahm. Even after he's gotten a divine experience of formless God, he still desires to experience the bliss of the personal form of God. And we have many, many examples of God-realized saints, jnani saints, who are free from maya and totally absorbed in the bliss of formless God, and then given a chance they graduate. And they abandon their bliss of formless God because they want to experience the personal form of God. So why this is so and what these examples are as well, we'll see tomorrow. Because we have to understand, not only is the goal difficult, but in the end, the jnani, you can't say his attainment is less because he also attained God. There aren't two gods. Nirakar and Sakar Brahm are not two, they're one. Yet, there's something so special in the bliss of Sakar Brahm that you could say it's a higher goal because the ras that's experienced is something more that the jnani doesn't experience from Nirakar Brahm. So we'll understand more about that tomorrow.